Speaking of dubious holidays, it's Do a Grouch a Favor Day, which seems quite appropriate for these times. It's also Innovation Day and National Almond Day, both of which I am skeptical are actual holidays. Who gets to decide? I hope you'll decide that every installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement is worth spending time on a brief civic holiday. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs. On today's program, while Charlottesville Parks and Rec still works to open one pool, they're looking to outsource operations of another. A former Albemarle official will help administer broadband expansion in her new position at the Thomas Jefferson Planning District. And the Charlottesville Regional Chamber of Commerce releases a report touting various collaborations and a quick snapshot of the General Assembly with one month down, one month to go. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, when you think of romance, you might not immediately think of energy efficiency, but the folks at Leap think keeping your family comfortable at home is a great way to show you care during the month of love. Your local energy nonprofit wants to make sure you are getting the most out of your home all year round, and Leap offers free home weatherization to income and age-qualifying residents. If someone in your household is age 60 or older, or you have an annual household income of less than $74,950, you may qualify for a free energy assessment and home energy improvements such as insulation and air sealing. Sign up today to lower your energy bills, increase comfort, and reduce energy waste at home. This past January was the sixth hottest in 143 years of recorded climate history, according to a new report from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA. January was also the 445th consecutive month with above-average temperatures. The data is collected by the National Centers for Environmental Information. Snow cover in the northern hemisphere is about average as was tropical activity. However, the polar sea ice coverage was at the second smallest in January in 44 years of records. Another study from NOAA reports that the United States coastline will see at least a foot rise in sea level by 2050. That amount would usually take a century, but the new sea level rise technical report uses the latest data from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. The report said the increased water level will mean heavier flooding inland and states that reduction in greenhouse gas emissions could slow the rise. Someone who happened to take a look this morning at the statistics for the 2022 Virginia General Assembly would have seen signs of crossover day. That's the day when hundreds of bills fail because they are not approved by the house in which they originated. As of 8.25 this morning, 959 out of 2,543 introduced bills have now failed. That number is up sharply from the 351 on Monday morning. The figure will likely shoot up higher now that the Republican-controlled House of Delegates will consider bills that have passed the Democrat-controlled Virginia Senate, and vice versa. There are 597 House bills pending in the Senate and 489 Senate bills waiting for action in House committees. The House of Delegates has passed one Senate bill. That's Senate Bill 739, which would allow parents permission to have their children not wear masks to stop the spread of COVID-19 while on school property. 
Governor Glenn Youngkin is expected to sign that legislation later this afternoon, but amended it to state that this new parental power will not go into effect until March 1st for those school systems that want to continue the mandate. Today, the Virginia Department of Health reports another 3,030 new cases, and the percent positivity is up slightly to 11.4%. It was 11.1% on Monday. The second anniversary of the pandemic is approaching, and almost every organization across Virginia has been transformed in some way. The Charlottesville Regional Chamber of Commerce has released a report highlighting some of the partnerships it has undertaken during these challenging times. These include Venture Central, a project to help encourage regional entrepreneurship fueled by a $300,000 grant from Go Virginia. Other parties include Albemarle, Charlottesville, and the University of Virginia. There's also the Leadership Charlottesville program, where people from different positions come together for a series of lessons and training about the community. The program was not held in 2021 due to the pandemic, but will relaunch this September with support from the Weldon Cooper Center at the University of Virginia and the Center for Nonprofit Excellence. A sneak peek is being held on March 9th, where you can learn more about the application process. Another chamber initiative is the Charlottesville Area Development Roundtable, or CADRE, which works to influence land use policy. Last year, their work was focused on the Charlottesville Comprehensive Plan, which was adopted by council in November. This year, that group will work on the zoning rewrite that is now underway. Other chamber programs include the Minority Business Alliance, the Hospitality Professionals Roundtable, and the Defense Affairs Committee. On Friday, the chamber will present their first-ever State of the Community at the Code Building. Registration has been closed. Charlottesville's Smith Aquatic and Fitness Center has been closed for nearly two years, but not all of that is related to the pandemic. When everything shut down in March of 2020, the facility had been expected to be closed for at least the summer for at least $1.8 million in repairs to try to finally fix lingering air quality issues. Smith had been expected to open back up last year, but the work wasn't complete. The goal is for it to open this spring. Vic Garber is the deputy director of the Charlottesville Parks and Recreation Department. We are still working diligently with facilities maintenance to make sure all the all the boxes are, are checked and to make sure that once we open that darn thing, um, um, it, it is going to be safe. It is going to be a great experience and I'd like to say magical experience. Work is also underway to make sure the pool can be staffed. Garber said several new lifeguards have been hired this month. He said there was no date yet for when Smith will open. Last summer, the outdoor pool at Mead Park was closed due to staffing issues. This Monday, the city issued a request for proposals for companies to take over the operations of the Honesty Pool. Uh, we're striving to um, get more staff. We, we need a, more than just a handful of lifeguards to get Honesty open. We need 60 uh, to um, do that effectively and safely. If the city proceeds to go in that direction, the vendor would be responsible for hiring that staff and for maintaining the pool. There are um, uh, five or six um, um, really well-acclaimed uh, vendors in the nation that do that. They go in, they, it's, they actually do it in Fredericksburg, they do it in Asheville, North Carolina. This would be just for Honesty Pool, 
which Garber said is the busiest facility in the city's pool system. Because of uh, all the um, whistles and bells that we have and blind spots, we need more guards there than any place. Proposals are due on March 15th. There are renovations underway at Honesty to repaint all of the water features and to update the 13-year-old facility. There's been a sharp uptick in usage of the city's parks in the past two years. Ryan Anthony is also a deputy director of Parks and Recreation. I am looking at uh, creative ways um, in terms of how do we meet the demand because trends um, has uh, um, uh, dramatically shown us that uh, once the pandemic started, people started using the parks more and more and more, and the trend has just continued. That means more wear and tear on the parks. And Anthony said there's a need to keep the standards high. He's considering outsourcing several services, such as horticulture and landscaping, because there is a struggle to fill existing positions. If you're interested in a new job or know someone, take a look at the city's jobs board. Anthony also said that the city needs to replace several playgrounds as they are over 20 years old. CPSI stands for Certified Playground Safety Inspector. According to the CPSI standards, um, 20 is your cutoff that you like, you know, you need to replace it. That's like the last end limit. And we have a few. First up will be Mead Park and Belmont Park. Anthony said public input sessions will be held to get feedback from community members. A nonprofit group is fundraising to build a playground in Penn Park, as we learn from Park's planner, Chris Jenzik, about Bennett's Village. The Bennett's Village, which is a uh, nonprofit group that's proposing to fundraise and construct and effectively donate to the city an all inclusive, all ages, all abilities type playground. Jenzik said there will be a public input process for that, as well as on March 15th. There will be a public input meeting for Tonsler Park on March 22nd. Gentic is also a member of the stakeholder group planning for a pedestrian and bike bridge over the Rivanna River to connect Pantops and Woolen Mills. The deadline is approaching for an application for smart-scale funding from the Virginia Department of Transportation, and there are two potential sites for where the western end of the bridge will land. And we're discussing pros and cons and getting public input from a variety of people about if it landed at Riverview, what, what are the pros and cons of that? If it landed at the end of Market Street down by the mill, what are the pros and cons of that? To learn more about the options, visit the Thomas Jefferson Planning District's website. You'll find a survey there. The Charlottesville-Albemarle Metropolitan Planning Organization will hold a special meeting on March 10th at 1 p.m. to talk about and maybe decide one of the options. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in this second subscriber-supported shout-out honoring Black History Month, 50 years after the Civil War and emancipation, there was still a great need to educate Black people in the rural areas of the South, including Albemarle County. From 1912 to 1932, Booker T. Washington and Julius Rosenwald built more than 5,300 schools, including the St. John Rosenwald in Cobham, northeast of Charlottesville. This school educated black children until 1954 and fell into disrepair, but still survives. Efforts to restore the school as a community center are bearing fruit. And on Thursday, February 17th, that's tomorrow, UVA Lifetime Learning will feature two speakers who will help tell that story and the importance of honoring the past 
while preparing for the future. Join St. John alumna Rebecca Kinney and preservationist Jody Lehendro at 3 p.m. Visit engage.virginia.edu to sign up for this virtual event. Two more segments to go today. A committee that is evaluating whether the name of Broadus Wood Elementary School should be changed is recommending that it remain. In October of 2018, the Albemarle School Board directed Superintendent Matt Haas to review all of the names in the division to see if they are still consistent with school values. Broadus Ira Wood was a farmer who donated the land for the Earliesville Area School in 1905, and the committee felt... He advanced education opportunities for African-American and rural students. The Albemarle School Board will consider their recommendation later this month. Here's a review of some of what has happened so far. Paul H. Kale Elementary School became Mountain View Elementary School on July 1, 2020. Sutherland Middle School was renamed Lakeside Middle School a year later, but Virginia L. Murray Elementary retained its namesake in 2021. The Community Public Charter School is now the Community Lab School. Jack Jewett Middle School will become Journey Middle School on July 1st. The Thomas Jefferson Planning District is one of 21 such entities in the Commonwealth of Virginia and is charged with assisting local member governments, partners, and stakeholders with a variety of technical and program services. Active projects include the aforementioned Rivanna River Bridge, as well as the Urban Rivanna Corridor Plan. Last year, the agency adopted a regional housing plan that offers tailored recommendations for each of the six jurisdictions. The TJPDC is also the lead agency for the Regional Internet Service Expansion Project, a $288 million public-private partnership to expand broadband involving several counties, the Rappahannock Electric Cooperative and the Central Virginia Electric Cooperative, and Dominion Energy. The project will be administered by Lori Allshouse, who spent many years as a top management and budget official in Albemarle County. Here's Christine Jacobs, the executive director of the TJPDC. Lori is a seasoned and dedicated public administrator who has a track record of building and maintaining partnerships and years of experience working with local, state, and federal funded programs, projects, and initiatives. Allshouse said she's glad to be on board. Uh, I just want to say throughout my career at Albemarle County, I've always been super impressed with the commission, with the staff and the leadership and all it's done for its members' uh, jurisdictions and the community, uh, the regional community where we all live. You can learn more about the RISE project in an article that Allison Rabel wrote in the Daily Progress. There's a link in the newsletter. The work is consistent with the TJPDC's vision. The vision is to be the intersection of ideas, partnerships, and support creating a cohesive regional community. I think the comparative advantage of the PDC is that we can help bring together different jurisdictions in order to coordinate across jurisdictional lines. Other organizations that got their start under the TJPDC umbrella include Jaunt, the Piedmont Housing Alliance, the Central Virginia Partnership for Economic Development, the Thomas Jefferson Area Coalition for the Homeless, and the Jefferson Area Board for Aging. More from the TJPDC's most recent meeting in future installments of Charlottesville Community Engagement. (laughs) 
And this has been another episode of Charlottesville Community Engagement, but we are now at the end of this one, and it's time for me to tell you all the credits. This is produced by me, Sean Tubbs, as part of Town Crier Productions, a company I formed in the summer of 2020 to experiment with all manner of civic engagement, and which basically for me is producing this information. I'm an independent, but of course I do have hundreds of people who are supporting this uh, effort through all kinds of different ways. One, of course, is Substack. And if you if you decide to pay for this information, um, that will be matched by Ting, the internet company Ting. Uh, they have been matching now for almost a year uh, all of these various payments. So uh, lots of different people are coming together to hopefully support this program. And if you'd like to continue uh, it going and you'd like to step up, do visit infoseville.com and click on the support the info button. That is a great way to keep this going and it's a great way to keep me busy and out of trouble. But of course, it's no trouble for me to produce this. This is the information I've wanted to always produce and I hope that you are benefiting from it. And if you are, please do send it on to somebody else. I'll be back tomorrow with another installment of this program. In the meantime, go back and check the archives and uh, stay informed, uh, stay warm, uh, stay uh, hydrated, um, stay classy, Charlottesville? Someone suggested I could say that, and I guess I just did. I'm Sean Tubbs. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back tomorrow. Goodbye. Goodbye.